1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 2 through 3 this morning, and I've titled this sermon Christianity 101, Christianity 101. If you're in 1 Thess, as some people say, chapter 1, let's read verses 2 and 3. The Word of God says this. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this time to be in your word. We pray that it would be a time that is useful to our souls, that helps us to grow in the image and likeness of Jesus, who is our Savior and King. In all things, we want to live up to who He is. And God, we know that we fall short of that so often. We know that even this week, as we've entered into this place, our hearts have come from places of maybe being angry this week or hating someone else at our school or in our home or uh, being frustrated with life or uh, being sorrowful without hope. And God, we recognize that even as we fall short, your grace is sufficient for us. And so would you help us, God, to listen to your word so that we might grow because you're doing a work in us, you're not giving up on us, and thereby we have hope that what you are going to do in us, you will complete in us. Thank you, God, for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Junior high, good to be back. Uh, Sometimes we just got to give you some fresh reminders. And that's what I want to do this morning, a fresh reminder for you. I think you recognize what a reminder is like. Sometimes the best reminders are the simplest reminders. For example, maybe you set up an alarm clock. Does anyone set up an alarm clock? Yeah, a couple of you. And do you snooze it? Yeah, Yeah, you do, because reminders can be annoying, right? And so you set it for 7 o'clock, and then you hit it, and then you wait till 7.05, and then you hit it, and then you wait till 7.10, and then your mom's in your face, and you're like, whoops, right? That's how it was for me. Or like my mom would say, like, hurry up, it's 7.15, and it was like 5.30, and it was like, that's not true, but okay. Reminders. Sometimes the simplest reminders are the most helpful reminders. Some of you had to be reminded this morning to brush your teeth. I know it because I've walked around the room, and some of you didn't listen. If you laughed, you didn't listen. Uh, (laughs) Some of you need to be reminded and go take a shower, get ready to eat. They're simple things, things that we do every day and things that we get so accustomed to, and yet some of those simplest things are the things that are the most helpful reminders. And what we're going to do this morning is nothing more than that. We're going to be reminded of something that you hear of all the time. How many times have you heard the word gospel? You hear that all the time. You're always talking about the gospel, the gospel this, the gospel that, uh, the gospel of Jesus and the gospel that saves. And we talk so much about the gospel that it's always good for us to be reminded about what it truly is. That's what we want to do this morning. We want to be reminded of the simplicity and the power of the gospel so that we would be encouraged to keep following Jesus. I might have that up there for you too. It's under main idea. Boom, look at that. I'm here to help. 
behold the simplicity and power of the gospel so that you would be encouraged to keep following Jesus. And why would we need to do that? Well, we're so prone to forget. We're so prone to forget about just how glorious the gospel of Jesus really is. Some of you have grown up at Grace Church your whole life, and so you've heard this so much that you begin to tune it out. Or, or as it is spoken to you and as you hear about what the gospel is, you just kind of treat it like any other thing because you've heard about it so much. Some of you might be a pastor's kid or an elder's kid, and so this is something you talk about all the time, and it just has become so commonplace to you. You're just forgetting just how beautiful and powerful and simple the gospel is. I think you also need to be reminded of the gospel because of what the gospel is not. In today's world, people talk about the gospel and try to add things to the gospel that are just not what it is. The gospel is simple It's about Jesus. It's about his saving power. It's about what he's doing in the church. And we don't want to overcomplicate that. We don't need to overcomplicate that. And so as we live in a life where it's so easy to just get used to what the gospel is, I think it's helpful for us to assess and to see here with Paul as he writes to this church in Thessalonica as to a fresh reminder of just how simple and just how powerful the gospel is in our lives. We're going to do that in three ways this morning, all right? Uh, First, or we can go to the next slide, yeah, we'll see. uh, First, the gospel always leads to praise and prayer. The gospel always leads to praise and prayer. Secondly, we'll see that the gospel always works from the inside out. And thirdly, we're going to see that the gospel always starts and ends with Jesus. Okay, that's where we're headed this morning. Let's start here, point one. The gospel always leads to praise and prayer. Paul is writing here in this letter, 1 Thessalonians, to a church in a town called Thessalonica, so you can see the relationship there. Uh, He's writing to a church that he visited and was ministering to and was preaching the gospel to, but wasn't there very long before he was run out of town. And you can find the story of that experience in Paul's second missionary journey in Acts chapter 17. Paul actually arrived from the town of Philippi where he was thrown into prison, him and his friends, and uh, they were dragged through the streets and, and beaten for the sake of the gospel message, and they're thrown into prison, and they're delivered by uh, the work of God, and eventually they land and end up in Thessalonica, but their troubles followed them there. And they get to spend a short time with this church, and they fall in love with God's people there. And so as quickly as they arrive, they're taken away. And they have to move on to the next town. And Paul writes this letter to them, likely from Corinth. And he writes this letter to them because they had such an amazing time with this church. He misses them, he loves them, and he wants to encourage them. And so he starts with these words. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. First, what we see here is Paul giving a, a, a thanksgiving to God for this church. 
these people that are in Thessalonica that have believed in the gospel and are walking in light of the gospel and that love Jesus and claim to love Jesus, Paul is thankful for them. Much in the same way, if you've never heard it from us, that we're thankful for you. Trust me, we're thankful for the fact that you're here on Sunday mornings. We're thankful that you're committed to going to your Bible studies or small groups and reading the Word of God and praying together and committed to living in fellowship and living in light of God's truth and not your own. Those things are something that we're thankful for. And when you come here and you listen to the Word of God preached, and sometimes you feel like you're hearing the same things over and over again, and sometimes you wonder if you really need to be doing this, I'm here to remind you, you do. And one of the reasons is because we're thankful to see what God is doing in your life. It's a joy for those who get to serve you and pour into you to see that God is doing something special in you. That's what Paul is describing to this church here. And that praise exhibits itself in thanksgiving and thanksgiving by means of prayer. And thanksgiving to God is the only proper response for what God does in the hearts of his people. If you were to turn in your Bible anywhere, you would always see that God's people always give him praise for what he does. And above all things, God's people give him praise for his work in salvation. Psalm 95, verses 1 to 3. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. Because God saves, he is worthy of our thanksgiving. Psalm 100, verses 4 to 5, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Because God's love is transcendent and God's love has even looked past and dealt with our sins and reconciled us to God, the psalmist says, I need to give him thanksgiving. And that's not just an Old Testament concept. We see it here in 1 Thessalonians. And Paul also writes the same thing in Colossians 2. Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, As you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is the proper response for what God has done in your life. And if you aren't giving God thanks for the salvation and, and, and the work of redemption and the forgiveness of sins and the offer of eternal life that he's given and guaranteed in Christ Jesus, then I have questions about if you truly know him. Someone who knows God and has seen the beauty of Jesus and his saving work will give him thanksgiving. And one of the ways, the chief ways that you would give that thanksgiving is not only for seeing that work in yourself, but for seeing it in others. 
Notice that Paul's gratitude here is not about his own salvation. It's about the salvation of this beautiful little church. We give thanks to God always for all of you, remembering, mentioning you in our prayers. Sometimes you don't feel like coming here on Sunday morning, I would guess. You're tired, you're cranky, you failed a test. Maybe you aced the test, I don't know. You probably failed it. But you don't want to come here. Some, no, you aced it, yeah. You got really upset, so you got to at least a B. You, you just don't always feel like showing up. You, you don't always feel like it when it comes to the Christian life. And I think that this passage here, this first verse, it gives us a reminder that the Christian life is not about you individually. It's about what God is doing in a people. Sometimes you might not feel like walking the Christian life and you need to be reminded that this transcends you. This is about what God is doing in his church. And so you need to commit to doing it anyway because God is doing a work in his people that we can be thankful for. Sometimes the best antidote, the best uh, response, the best way to get over yourself is to see how God is blessing others. Paul was enduring a lot. Paul was beaten for the gospel. Paul was in prison for the gospel. Paul nearly died multiple times for the gospel. Paul was shipwrecked for the gospel. Paul was bitten by a venomous snake for the gospel. Paul ultimately got his head chopped off for the gospel. And you know what? Amidst all of that, Paul continued to give praise because God was doing a work in others. I wonder if your Christian life looks that way. Where when every day is not bliss and unicorns and rainbows for you, most of you guys is probably not unicorn and rainbows, but when it's not that for you, that you're still able to give God thanks because you see what he's doing in others. And in order to see what God is doing in others, you need to be with others, right? You can't live the Christian life alone. You, you can't walk this journey by yourself. You need to have friends and peers and mentors that love Jesus and can help you hold fast to Jesus so that together you can give praise to Jesus. And that praise exemplifies itself in thankful prayers that are offered up to God because of the work he's doing in others. We need to be reminded of the gospel so that our worship would be filled with thankfulness. That's what Paul is saying here. The gospel always leads to praise and prayer. Second here, the gospel always works from the inside out. What we praise God for is the fact that he works in us. We, we can praise God, and the reason that we're even capable of understanding that and the reason that we're even capable of doing that is because God is doing a work in us and that work in us works itself out. Not only are we to be grateful for the gospel, we should show our gratitude by living for the gospel. This is kind of like a Christmas gift. Think of the most epic Christmas gift you've ever gotten. I'm sure there's plenty, or at least a few. What if your parents this year 
God, what would be epic? I mean, just hit me up because I'm not a junior hire. I don't know what the most epic gift is right now. Exactly. So if your parents gave you that, that actually messes up my illustration a little bit. Yeah. A PS5. Ladies, are you interested in PS5? Not a single one of them. It's really, this is actually really telling because all the guys have proven to be so materialistic while the ladies have been humble and quiet. What is it? Okay, we got we got off the rails. We like completely lost it. Let's stick with the let's stick you know what's a good one? I think the phone is great. Get a new phone, right? An an iPhone thirteen. Is that the newest one? iPhone thirteen pro? Isn't it hot? It is hot. This is an eleven and it's got cracks all over it. I need a new phone. It'd be awesome if I got an iPhone thirteen. What if so what if for for Christmas my wife bought me an iPhone thirteen? And I never used it. That would be messed up, right? And on Christmas Day, I say, oh, thank you so much. I love you, babe. This is awesome. I'm so excited. And I never put that gift to use. My gratitude isn't real, right? At that point, my thankfulness isn't rooted in anything that's real because I don't express that gratitude by using the gift that I've received, And the same would go for you. If you got a PS5 for Christmas and you didn't use it, I think your parents would be really confused. That's what you wanted, and you said that you would want that, and then you were thankful for it, and then you don't use it. It doesn't make sense. You haven't placed any true value on the gift that you've received. And the same is true for us in faith. The gift of salvation that we've received and that we express a gratitude to God for needs to express itself by us living out a life that models that thanksgiving. If we're thankful for what God has done in us, we need to show it by living in light of what God has done in us. And Paul is thankful for this church because even as he thinks of their salvation, he thinks of what God has done in them, he sees it tangibly. He can point to it. They live it. They practice it. It's not something they say or something that they just, uh, when they come to church, they're like, oh yes, I love Jesus, and then you can never tell. They say it and they live it. He gives thanks, mentioning them in his prayers. Verse 3 Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. There's three things to highlight here as it comes to how God is working in us from the inside out. Three virtues that all of us would say we probably hold on to as believers. If you're a Christian, I think you would say that you have these three things. Faith, love, and hope. And those things are awesome. Those things are noble. In fact, the word that we would use for these, that often is used for these, even as I was studying, is virtues. These are are virtues of the Christian faith. It's something that we all aspire to and we want to model. And the beauty of the gospel is that we don't have to search for how to do those things anymore. We now have those things in Christ. But friends, what Paul is saying here is that what God has given you in faith, 
love and hope needs to work itself out, needs to demonstrate itself in works, labor, and steadfastness. A work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope. The idea here is that your love, I mean your faith, produces something. And what your faith produces is works. Your, your love produces something, and what it produces is labor, and your hope produces something, and what it produces is steadfastness. Well, we know these things to be true in the Bible and the Word of God. James chapter 2 says that faith, if it does not have works, is dead. And listen, I know that sometimes it feels like we've made it all too easy, and it's because it is. We love to sing to God about how we're saved by faith and faith alone, and that's a true statement. That's, that's right theology. That's sound doctrine. That principle holds true. You are saved by faith and faith alone. But guess what? That faith that you are granted to believe always has works. It produces works. It demonstrates itself. It highlights itself. You want to say you have faith alone? Amen. Praise God. Show me. Show me that you do. Live what you say you have. That's the message that Paul is expressing here. Not only have you said that you have it, not only do you sing about it, not only do you praise God about it, but you live it. Secondly, love. A love that labors. And you might think work and labor, they seem kind of connected, and they kind of are. But work in the sense of faith is about tasks, things that you do, things that you commit to. Labor is a little bit different. Labor is something that's burdensome. Labor is something that's heavy. Labor is something that might not be comfortable. It might not be fun. And when you love someone and you truly love someone, this is the only way to truly love them. If you know who Jesus is, you know that Jesus loved you this way. Jesus loved you in a way that even though it was difficult for him and it caused him much suffering and pain and even death on a cross, he loved you. And for us, the same is true today. Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And what is that law? John 13, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. And you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This church here not only had a faith that worked itself out, they loved each other so much that it expressed itself to the point of suffering for each other, bearing burdens for one another. Listen, it's easy to say I love you to people to relatives, to your mom, your dad. It's not so easy when it's uncomfortable to express that. When, when push comes to shove and you need to demonstrate that your love is real, even if it comes at a cost to you, will you do it? This church did that. They labored in love. And thirdly here, they have a steadfastness of hope. 
This church practiced what they believed. They committed to loving one another not only in word, but also in deed. And thirdly, they have a hope that produces steadfastness. Hope is what's been granted to us in Jesus. In him is eternal life. And so as we wait for him, we know that he's promised. He he promised his disciples, and that promise is true for us, that he's gone to prepare a place for us. And I would expect that if you're a Christian, you're waiting for that. You're longing for that, right? You, You look forward to the day that you can get to heaven and that we can be with God and be with him forever. And yet, right now, we're still here. This isn't heaven. This isn't it. There's still so many problems and trials and so much pain and sorrow and affliction. We still wrestle with sin. We still struggle with the same sins. We still struggle with the same people. Life is not what we are waiting for it to be. And the reason is this. When you have hope in Jesus, as you wait on Jesus, it produces a steadfastness in you. Steadfastness is endurance. It's an ability to uh, endure, to have stamina. Yesterday, I I went to, uh, one of my cousins was working up at this cross-country meet. And so I went and checked it out and wanted to see, like, you know, what's it look like? People running. I don't ever do this. And it was amazing because I showed up and these kids are, like, running past me really fast and not very tired. And I was like, oh, they must have just gotten started. And then the lady's like, no, they've been running for six miles already. And I'm like, how in the world are people running for six miles? I can't run for six inches. This is ridiculous. They don't look tired. Like, that guy's not even sweaty. Like, I'm sweaty. Like, what happened? It was enough to get out of my car for me to sweat. And this guy's run six miles, and he's clean. Look at him. He can go another 4,000 miles. How do you do that? You train, right? You, you, you work out. You, you give yourself to the task. His mission the entire time has probably been to win this race. And the only way to win that race is to suffer in the moment, to keep training, to keep going, to the point that six miles to him are nothing. And that's the way that it is for us. The, to endure this life is nothing because of the glory that is to come in Jesus. Friends, you're not even, I mean, you're not even close to enduring all the things that life has in store for you. When I was your age, I never would have imagined getting married, having a baby girl, and then watching that baby girl get sick with cancer. I wasn't ready for that. Not at your age. I didn't think about that at all. And trust me, you're so young and into TikTok and into doing all kinds of fun stuff and living a crazy life and getting baloney thrown in your face. It just doesn't, it just doesn't come to you. It doesn't, it's not something you think about very often. But the hope you have in Jesus is one that produces steadfastness. Life will come at you fast in ways that you don't expect. Whether it's your family whether it's struggles with finances, whether it's struggles at school and relationships, you don't know what is to come, but you can endure. Why? Because you have a hope in Jesus. And that hope will manifest, manifest itself in you in endurance. 
Every day that you endure is an assurance that you have a true hope. Every day that you continue to labor for others, to bear their burdens, is an assurance that you bear true love. And every day that you commit yourself to righteousness and to living in accordance with God's word and not your own ways or the world's ways, and you live in accordance with the truths of what Jesus has taught us and not your own ways, you can assure yourself that you have a true faith. And why is that? Well, it's because of point three here. The gospel always starts and ends with Jesus. The gospel always starts and ends with Jesus. It's not just that we have these qualities of faith, and it's not just that we be rooted in those qualities, it's that those qualities be rooted in the right source. Many people would say that they have faith or belief in love or even hope, but if faith, love, and hope are not rooted in Jesus, I'm sorry, you just don't have those things at all. You don't have those things at all. It would be like trying to plant a flower on a rock. Is that going to work? No. You need soil. You need fertile ground, right? And the only soil that produces the kind of life that Paul is giving praise for here and that, and that Paul is grateful for to God because of how fruitful it is, is a life that's rooted in Jesus. And we see it here in verse 3. Paul is thankful. He remembers before God their work of faith and their labor of love and their steadfastness of hope. All of it in our Lord Jesus Christ. In our Lord Jesus Christ. We need this reminder because so often when we're not careful, we tend to root our worship and our growth and things that are not worthy for the credit. When we see faith and love and hope, we root them in things that are good, but not Jesus. And we need to be reminded that every ounce of fruit that we see in us is an opportunity not to grow prideful about the things that we're doing that might be going right, but to go back to God and give him praise. To start again from the very beginning of this verse, that every time you see God at work in you, you would turn back to God and say, thank you. We don't want to dismiss any good thing that comes from the Christian life, especially as it pertains to the disciplines that help you walk with Jesus. But you need to be mindful of this. We are so prone to misplace our Christianity and our growth into things that are good but are not him, your parents, your devotional time, your obedience, your church, your prayer life, how, how much you read the Bible. And trust me, those things are good, but those things are not Jesus. And those things will not last you. You know how I know that? Because sometimes you read the Bible and sometimes you don't. 
Sometimes you have a really good week of praying, and then the next week, not so good. And are you going to root your salvation? Are you going to root what God is doing in you in the things that you do or in the things that he has done? That's the question for us here. Paul is grateful because as this church lives a life of faith and lives a, a life of love and lives a life of hope, they root those things in Jesus and nothing else. It's all rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, it means he's the one that governs and reigns and is supreme over them. This church has come to a place where they recognize Jesus is the ultimate authority over their lives. Jesus is the one who controls all things, governs all things, is head over all things, and above all things is head over his church. And so as this church looks to live a life of faith, live a life of love, live a life of hope, one that we can all look at and be thankful for, They do all those things under one main premise, under one main truth. Jesus is Lord. That is the motivation for us. And that is the starting point and ending point of the gospel. That Jesus is Lord. If you want to have a deepened faith, yes, I would encourage you to read your Bible. But it's not for the sake of reading, it's for the sake of seeing Jesus. Yes, I would encourage you to love others. But it's not just because that's going to help you feel good about yourself. It's because I want you to see what it's like when you pour your life out for someone else like Jesus did for you. If you want to grow in hope, And you have to go through a little bit of something. And life has to get a little bit turbulent. It has to get a little bit uncomfortable. And in those moments, I would encourage you, yes, to read and to pray and to go to church. And it's not just because in those things you're going to be able to discipline your way out of a funk. It's because in those things, I hope for you to see Jesus to be so much more worthy than anything you go through in this life. Jesus is Lord. That is the starting and end point of our gospel. We see it for ourselves in this way. Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, verse 1, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That sounds like what Paul is grateful for here. He's grateful for a church that knows how to fight its sins. It knows how to lay aside weights and hindrances, and it knows how to endure in this race. How are they going to do it? Hebrews 12, verse 2. Looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus. The founder and perfecter of our faith. Friends, let me put it this way. If you have believed upon Jesus, 
it's because of Jesus. If you're going to endure in this life and you're going to make it to the end, it's because of Jesus. And in the end, what do you get? Jesus. That's why we're here. That's why anyone that steps up to this pulpit preaches. That's why we come to church. That's why we read our Bibles. That's why we pray. It's not just because we want to be disciplined to some menial task. It's because we can think of nothing better to do now that we have seen that Jesus is Lord. And because Jesus is Lord, I need to find him. I need to look for him in his word. I need to behold his glory and behold his beauty. I want to know him and I want to know him fully as much as I can, even though I know I can't in this life. Because he's the founder and perfecter of our faith. The gospel starts and it ends with Jesus. Now you might ask this. What makes Jesus so worth it? Why would we need to depend so much on Jesus? Why is it that the gospel, the one that leads to praise and prayer, this gospel that works itself out from, from the inside out, and this gospel that depends so heavily on Jesus, why would it be worth it to put our everything in him? I'm going to point us back to Hebrews 12. The way that we endure, the way that we persevere in this life is looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is what makes Jesus so worth it. It's not that he's some tyrannical king that just wants to control everything and can't have it any other way. It's that the king who does control everything came down and gave his life. He lived a sinless life, something that you and I cannot do, something that you and I cannot achieve. He, he then sacrificed his life on a cross, bled out, and endured the wrath of God, the punishment for sins that you and I faced and could not escape from. Jesus took that. And when Jesus was in the grave and they thought he was a goner and they thought they had killed him off for good, three days later, Jesus hopped up out the grave. <laughs> He's alive. And he isn't just alive aimlessly. He's alive seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That means Jesus has all authority. And here's why that matters. If Jesus has all authority, and Jesus is king, and Jesus is Lord, and Jesus has told us that he's the only way to heaven, what do you think is going to happen? What do you think is needed from you? I think it's to believe upon that, right? What Jesus says is true. And so his path, the way, the way to eternal life is through Jesus. And though you might not see him now, I hope you know Jesus will come again. And he will vindicate that everything he says is true. Some of you here, I don't know if you've believed in him. 
And so I call you to that right now. Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. And before you can think about or try to figure out how you can please God or live a life that would make God proud, you need to first and foremost do this. Recognize your sin in light of the glory of Jesus, in light of the truth of Jesus. Submit to him, surrender your life to him, and receive the free gift of eternal life that he offers. A free gift that doesn't just mean that one day you'll get to heaven and the rest of this life you'll just kind of be waiting around. It's actually so much more than that. It's a free gift that offers you eternal life and that even now will work itself out in you so that you in turn can give God praise and honor and glory just like all those who love him long to do for eternity. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your kindness to us in Christ. Thank you that we have a church where so many of our brothers and sisters come and we get to see how God is at work in others where we get to demonstrate and work out these virtues of faith and love and hope, where we get to strengthen and encourage one another, and where we get to be reminded of uh, the most encouraging news of all, that Jesus is Lord. I pray for those here who have not believed in you, Lord, that they would see that Jesus is the only way to escape the wrath that is coming because he took that wrath on the cross out of a love for us. May they see that Jesus is infinitely more worthy than anything else in this world. That Jesus is worth pursuing because Jesus gave his all for us and that no matter how we strive in this life to save ourselves, we will not be able to. Grant them eyes of faith to believe in this. And for those here who do believe upon you and love you and want to commit to you, may they live a life that is pleasing to you, recognizing that all of the fruit that comes from a life of faith, love, and hope is rooted in Jesus. Yes, Lord, may they grow in their love for the word and love for prayer and love for fellowship, but may they only do that as it's bound to a love for Jesus. I thank you, God, for the opportunity that we've had to be in your word. In Jesus' name, amen.